Over two years ago, in August of 2021, I had the privilege of delivering to you the first sermon series of my time here as the senior pastor at Bayleaf Baptist Church. It's hard to believe that it's been that long. And it was a sermon series taken out of the book of Acts, chapter two, verses 42 to 47, focusing on that passage that describes the early activity of the New Testament church. And the goal of that series was to call us to be devoted to the very same things as the people of God today to what we saw the people of God then devoting themselves to. Because we want to follow the command of Scripture and also because we saw the blessing of the Lord poured out upon them as they sought to be obedient to the commands of God. And I want to revisit that text this morning, right in the middle of our multiply initiative. And here's why. I want to remind us that while some things will inevitably change as we think about extending the ministry of Bayleaf Baptist Church from just this one campus to hopefully our new campus at Creedmoor Road, there are some things, some essential things that must never change. And that will never change. They cannot change because they are what form the backbone of who we are as the church. They're what unite us and ground us as a people. They are the same kind of practices, not only through the history of the church, but the practices that you would find being expressed in any New Testament, any faithful Christian church globally around the world today. And I have no doubt that if we commit ourselves, regardless of what other changes must come as we walk in obedience, seek to walk in faithfulness to God, I have no doubt that if we remain faithful to these core practices, the Spirit will continue to use them to unite us as a people and to use us for the sake of the gospel. What was true then can and must be true now. So think about what we have seen in the book of Acts. Think about all that has happened in just the first four chapters of this book that we've looked at over the past two weeks. It's been a whirlwind. The resurrected Lord has appeared to the disciples and has taught them over the course of appearances over 40 days. And then after those 40 days, he ascends miraculously, gloriously back into heaven. And his disciples stand there looking at his after effects he sends angels to tell them, hey, listen, you can't keep looking at the sky. You got work to do. You're called to be witnesses to the ends of the earth once the Holy Spirit has fallen upon you. And so the disciples go and they gather together with the believers. And after waiting in Jerusalem, just as Jesus instructed them to do, the Holy Spirit does fall on them in their gathering in the upper room. And they begin under Peter's leadership to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thousands, thousands of people respond to this gospel declaration, respond to the declaration that Peter made that Jesus Christ is the only one in whom salvation can be found. And as we saw last week, Miraculous signs also begin to accompany their testimony. In Acts 3, a lame man was healed. And then on top of that, bold witness was offered again of Christ's power to heal what truly ails all of mankind. And thousands more came to faith, responding in repentance and belief. And then because 
Some considered this spirit-guided activity to be a threat to their own power. Peter and John were arrested. They were imprisoned, questioned, and released before gathering back with the other believers to pray for more boldness. That's a lot of change. It's a lot to process, a lot of activity, a lot to behold. But right in the midst of all this happening, right in the midst of all this activity, Luke leads us to take a breath, a pause, to see what the church was devoted to that allowed them to be a part of this kind of work of God and what grounded them, what held them together in the midst of it. Four practices that were part of the ministry of the church then that must remain part of the ministry of the church today. Because here's what Luke wants us to see under the influence of the Holy Spirit about these core practices. When we devote ourselves to the right things, when we devote ourselves to these practices, we position ourselves to be supernaturally used by God for his gospel purposes. We position ourselves through obedience to these practices to allow us to see and be a part of the work of God. It seems like our commitment to these simple normative practices that the church has been engaged in from the beginning are what allow us to see the extraordinary work of God because in his providence, he works through them. So let's allow the scripture church to remind us of these core practices and call us back to them. Call us to continued faithfulness to them as we move and look toward the future. Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. Here's what the word of God says. And they, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together. And they held all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what does the early church do right after Peter preaches one of the most famous sermons in all of human history. What do they do after in response to that sermon, the Lord adds thousands to their number? What do they do in response to the, in the midst of these miraculous things happening and threats coming against their leaders? The Bible says they devote themselves to four practices. They engage in four ministry rhythms. They received the apostles' teaching. They gathered with fellow believers. They declared the gospel through the Lord's Supper and they offered prayers to God. That's what united them, grounded them. It's what held them together. These practices under the guiding hand of God and the Holy Spirit. So let's work through these practices to just remind ourselves why they are so essential 
to who we are as the church, so essential that they are formative, foundational for every faithful New Testament church. Practice number one, the early church received the apostles' teaching. The first thing we see them do or the, the first thing in the order of these practices that the early church devoted themselves to is receiving the authoritative teaching of the apostles. Now let me clarify what that is and why it matters for us. The apostles' teaching was an extension of the teaching of Jesus under the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit. It was in all likelihood a teaching rooted in the writing of the Old Testament, but it was expanded. It was enhanced through the earthly ministry, the work and person of Christ. It was the kind of teaching that showed the promise of Jesus's words in John chapter five, verse 39, wherein Jesus says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. There's not salvation in the scriptures apart from how they point us to the person and work of Christ. And the apostolic teaching serves this ultimate purpose. It shows how God has authored our salvation in Christ. It shows how every promise of God to the people of God was fulfilled in Christ. It helps us to know how to live in a way that imitates Christ and glorifies the Father. And then by God's providence, all of these teachings were put into writings connected with the apostles. And that's how we have our New Testament. And what makes this scripture, this apostolic witness special, again, is how it gets us to Jesus. To help us hear the word of God from the word of God. And there's a progression here and the teaching of God's people that must be noted for us to remain committed to it today. It wasn't enough for God's people to simply be devoted to what had already be given, been given in the writings of the Old Testament, to the morality it expresses or the sacrificial system that offers temporary atonement because the coming of Christ transformed all of those expectations and it now transforms the way that we view the world. All that came before Jesus and the redemptive revelation of God was a shadow of what was to come in him. And it is fully realized in Christ. And Jesus meticulously showed the apostles how this was so. He showed them how everything that was given in the Old Testament was pointing the people of God to him so that when he left and they were empowered by the Spirit, they could continue to offer witness to what Jesus Christ himself gave. And because the Holy Spirit rested upon them, when we hear the words of the apostles, it's as if we are hearing the words of Jesus Christ himself. Powerful, powerful witness to the word of God to the words of Christ, and it is this word that saves. It is this word that transforms. It is the word, the gospel, that continues to, to direct our gaze to Christ. God actively works through his word, and so, friends, we must remain committed to it. That's why the church, throughout its history, has been committed and will remain committed to the apostolic teaching. Practice number two, the early church gathered with fellow believers. Not only did they devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles, they devoted to receiving it together. In fact, the whole passage describes 
this group of early believers doing all of life together. They lived as a people. They lived in deep gospel community like a really big family. Listen to how, to, listen to how Luke describes the way they are living together. Verse 44, they held all things in common, like a family. Verse 45, they shared with anyone who had need, like a family. Verse 46, they attended the temple together. They went to worship together and they ate meals together on a daily basis. This is a clear picture of a people who are devoted to the Lord, yes, first and foremost, but also devoted to one another. And this practice is so important for the church to continue today, to be devoted to today because we live in a very individualistic society. As we've talked about often in our gatherings, we've never had more opportunity to be connected to each other than we have today. And yet we've also never been so isolated. It's a tragedy. Here's how one author described our current state speaking to this particular passage. We're so transient as a people. People change spouses readily when one relationship becomes undesirable. People regularly change jobs for advancement and convenience, often moving to a competitor in the workforce. People move homes all the time, affecting our ability to have roots, deep roots in a community. And people move churches at the first sign of trouble, the first time something doesn't go their way. We're designed for community, and yet we live in ways that prohibit or destroy community. And the Bible is reminding us here, as the people of God, that we cannot, must not let supernatural or superficial things affect our supernatural gathering. We cannot allow superficial things to affect the supernatural unity that God is calling us to and providing for us as the people of God. And so this is a a moment for us to be committed or recommitted to one another in this body of believers. A call to plant deep roots here. Receiving the calling of God to be a part of this particular expression of his people. And so let's heed the command of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's be devoted to the fellowship and ask God to strengthen our fellowship to strengthen our unity, to be used by him for his gospel purposes. Thirdly, the early church declared the gospel through the Lord's Supper. Now, these next two ministry practices could be considered a subgroup of the way that the early church devoted themselves to the fellowship, but I think it's good for us to consider them on their own because they have importance in their own right. The early church was devoted to the breaking of bread. And yes, it is true, as you can see here in our passage, that they ate meals often together. They ate well together. That's how you know the early church was Southern Baptists because they like to eat and we like to eat. But there's a deeper meaning to this particular breaking of bread. That phrase is meant to take us back to a particular meal a specific meal that Jesus had with his disciples in the upper room 
wherein he established a new Passover meal. One that, according to the Apostle Paul, would on, in an ongoing active way declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, in the gathering of the early church, they would proclaim the gospel verbally, but they would also declare the gospel visibly, believing that the visible in the ordinance served the verbal. And as we experienced last week, for those who were able to be here when we had the Lord's Supper together, there's something unique that takes place among the people of God when we partake of the elements. The Lord meets us in a unique way in that declaration. And we are reminded in that meeting of what truly unites us because church, we are not people ultimately united around ethnicity geography, economic status, or political ideology. We are a people united in Christ by the spirit of the living God. That's what Paul gives testimony to in Ephesians chapter four. Many of you talked about that today in your small groups. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. The death and resurrection of Christ lie at the center of everything that we do. And the supper is God's gift to us to remind us of the centrality of this primary work of Christ. Practice four. The people of God offered prayers to God. Last but certainly not least, the church was devoted to praying and to praying together. They, they prayed individually but they were committed to corporate prayer. The apostles, as we saw last week, continued to gather together in the temple to pray. They, they followed the tradition of, of their people, but they also added new things. They would gather together at other times and pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Because when they prayed and when we pray, one commentator said, we remind ourselves that we are to be a heaven and earth people. We are a people who are mindful of the whole of what is taking place around us, that there are spiritual and physical realities at, at work against us and for us as we seek to be faithful to the witnessing call that God has placed on our life. Prayer is a gift because it reminds us of our future and that sustains us. It reminds us of where we are going, where we will spend an eternity uninterrupted in fellowship with our creator, God. But it also reminds us of our complete dependence upon God to get there. And so the early church prayed for those reasons and more. And these four practices formed the, the bedrock of the ministry of the early church. And... Again, they must remain the bedrock of this church as well, moving forward. You know, one of the questions I've been asked frequently about our work over at Creedmoor Road concerns how our ministry will change. Jared, what will be the same here at our current campus and, and what may change as we think about moving also to Creedmoor Road? And so I wanna use this text again Allow God to show us, to, to confirm in us some things that will always stay the same. If you're worried or concerned about what will change or what will be different, let me just encourage you this morning to remember what will never change. What was true then 
And what has been true of Bailey's existence to this point will continue to be, Lord willing, until Christ calls us home. And more than that, one of the main goals of this Multiply initiative and thinking about moving to a second campus at Creedmoor Road is to see these core practices, these core ministries that we are engaged in here at Bayleaf multiplied, extended to that campus. We don't wanna stop doing these things. We wanna do them more so that God can continue to work through them to draw people to himself and bring him glory. So hear me, church, we will continue to proclaim the apostles' teaching every time we gather as a people. We will be devoted to the ministry of the word ministry of the word. Every time we gather, let's be reminded we are a word-centered people and that our gathering is driven by the word. Just as we, as we saw as we came into the worship service this morning, we believe our, our, our worship is a response to God speaking through his word. So if we're going to be a worshipful people, the word must be central. Let me just tell you a little bit how specifically that's going to be true. At this campus and that campus, we will be committed to live, in-person, Christ-centered expository preaching. Live, in-person, Christ-centered expository preaching, just as we do here, we will do there. We will have on-campus small groups, Sunday school gatherings, where people can gather and, and have more exposure to the ministry of the word because we believe we believe that's when life happens, that true transformation comes from hearing God's word proclaimed and responding under the work of the Holy Spirit to that proclamation. And we want our people and anybody who darkens the door of our church to hear God's word proclaimed, to hear what God has done for them in Christ, to hear how when we were lost in our trespasses, when we were lost in our sin, God did not turn a blind eye to us, but looked on us with love and empathy and compassion and loved us so much that he sent his son to live the perfect life we could not live, to die the death that we deserve, taking upon the full wrath of God for us so that through his resurrection, we could have abundant and eternal life. Don't we want people to hear that? And don't we believe that through that proclamation and through that message that God will draw people to himself and strengthen the church as he sanctifies us, helping us become more like Jesus. And so we will be committed to Christ-centered expository preaching and teaching. And we will also continue to promote the actual gathering of God's people to help us be more devoted to the fellowship, to be devoted to each other. God has called us out of sin. He has called us to a purpose. He has called us to a people. And that's for our good because he created us to be together. We were created in the image of God to live in fellowship, to be together it's clearly a, a teaching of scripture that somehow God strengthens us in the fellowship and then uses the fellowship to further his gospel purposes. Let me just make this appeal once again for the benefit, I hope, of our church. I just wanna say this very pastorally in a, in a shepherding kind of way this morning for the benefit of all of us. I'm so grateful for the gift of technology that allows us to be connected when we are unable to be here in person, when we are sick, 
are traveling or on business. But I also want us to have a deep conviction as a people that it is demonstrably better to be together in person whenever we can. That there's something special and unique that happens among the gathered people of God, that the Spirit of God meets us uniquely when we are together, and that is for our good. And here's what I believe is incredible about the opportunity at Creedmoor Road. It provides an opportunity for more people to gather together, for more people to gather. Now, it is also true that in creating another gathering at another campus, that it will be harder for us to know each other as a single body. And we're gonna have to do some things to make sure that we help bridge that gap as a fellowship. It's the same kind of potential though that happened the moment we decided to go from one service to two from two to three, and at one time from three to four. Because there are people in this room who don't know as many people in our 830 service and vice versa. Anytime we create opportunity for more people to gather by creating more services or another campus, there's an opportunity for us to lose a little bit of fellowship. And so we have to work hard to create opportunities for us to gather and to know each other and to remind ourselves of what ultimately unites us. But let me also say this, I've been a part of churches that were not separated by time of service or by campus who were deeply divided in one service under the same roof because they lost sight of what ultimately holds us together. And so friends, we must remember that oneness that Paul declares over us in Ephesians chapter four because that and the spirit of God working within us, the gospel will hold us together as we seek to make more room for people to fellowship and join us in hearing the word proclaimed, experiencing this gift of fellowship that God has given us in the local church. Thirdly, we will continue to declare the gospel visibly through baptism and through the supper. We will continue to operate as a people by offering, experiencing together the ordinances. In fact, having the ordinances is what makes us, or one of the core factors that makes us a church. We must express these ordinances because they are a direct command of God. This morning we had the, the privilege in our 830 service of seeing three people baptized. Three people who gave their life to Christ and wanted to make a public profession of, of their following Jesus. And what a tremendous blessing that is for the church to be reminded of that day that Jesus called us from death to life. But friends, the, the Lord's Supper is also a gift for us as it reminds us of the centrality of the work of Jesus. And we need it over and over again because that is of first importance. It is, it is the work of Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, and the death, burial, and resurrection that is of first importance to us. And if we can remind ourselves that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is central to everything we do, then there's nothing that we can't overcome as a people. And that, that, that Lord's Supper is such a powerful reminder. It's, it centers us. It, it brings us back in the, in the face of all the activity or all the change that could happen around us. That supper, that visible reminder of the gospel brings us back to what is of first importance. And finally, we will pray. We've been a praying people. We're praying even now 
Throughout the Multiply initiative, that's why we have these 40 days of prayer and fasting. And I'm so grateful for the, the many people in our church who have signed up and continue to pray. And we will pray because we want to be reminded of this ultimate goal where we will have uninterrupted fellowship with God forever in a place called heaven. And be reminded of our complete dependence dependence upon him to be used by him for anything of eternal worth. And all, all we are seeking to do and multiply is extend the reach of these ministry commitments so that more people can partake of them, so that more people can hear the gospel, see the gospel, see the effect of the gospel, and then respond in faith to the gospel. And while some things will inevitably change, I hope we can rest with confidence in what will never change. These will always be the regular rhythms of our church and they will always be the ground under God's work and the power of the spirit to what unites us and drives us to be a gospel people. And what I wanna do for our remaining time together this morning is engage in one of those practices right now. I want us to spend some time in corporate prayer. I wanna pray over two specific things the first of which is our multiply initiative. And I'm gonna put some prompts on the screen to help guide us in this time. And so wherever you are, could you just bow your heads and just prepare your heart to pray with your brothers and sisters, to pray with the fellowship and the presence of Almighty God, knowing that God inclines his ear toward his people. And would you begin right now by praying for the Lord to continue to direct our steps in the next days, in the next years, to help us know what it looks like to walk in faithfulness to him and that we would have the courage and conviction to walk in faithfulness. And would you pray for the thousands and thousands of people who live around our Creedmoor Road property that we spoke about last week and that God continues to add to that area? Would you ask God to begin preparing the ground for the spiritual work that we hope to do there on that campus even now? in neighborhoods where we have members already living, in conversations that we have with coworkers, as activity begins to unfold in that property, that people would be drawn by God to hear the gospel.
And as God gives us the vision, would you also pray that God would help us have the provision to accomplish this work? We believe that God has already given us the resources here at this church to see this vision fulfilled. And would you pray before the Lord right now what your role could be in that? You and your family? Believing that if all of our church is faithful to do what God has called us to do individually, then we as a people will be able to do the work he's called us to on that campus. And because God is the one who saves and the one who builds the church, would you pray the Lord would add to our number day by day those who are being saved? Father, we want to be a faithful people. Even when it's uncomfortable, we want to do exactly what you ask of us. So would you help us see what faithfulness is in this moment, how to faithfully use this property you've given to us for your glory? And would you help us have the conviction and courage to walk in faith? Knowing that through our normal, ordinary obedience, you can do extraordinary things. And we want to be used as a people to be witnesses for the sake of the gospel. And Father, would you even now begin preparing our hearts to reach out to this community in desperate need of the gospel, both in the area directly around our current campus and the potential new campus on Creedmoor Road. Would you give us as we said last week, gospel awareness of the lostness around us. And would you even now begin building the foundation for this ministry that will take place over there? Help us to have conversations even today that will bear fruit in the coming years as you multiply our ministry. And Father, we want to say that we give all of ourselves to you. So whatever you would have us to give so that together we can see your provision for this vision unfold. Father, we wanna be committed to that, obedient to that. Help us to take the steps of faith that we need in this moment to be a generous people. And Father, would you use this work and this effort to add Add to your church, to build this church for your glory, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. And the second thing I wanna pray for this morning, because we are a global-minded people, is the situation unfolding right now in Israel and the Middle East. I may seem like a, a weird pivot, but I think it's important for us as the people of God to pray and to ask God to do what only he can do in this terrible Situation. So again, I'm gonna put these prompts on the screen and let's go to the Lord in prayer over this global reality right now. Let's pray for peace in the Holy Land. 
It's amazing the conflict that's been generated over this land of promise. But would you pray for God to give temporary peace so that people can see where ultimate peace is found? And that, of course, is in Jesus. So let's pray for temporary peace so that people can see the greater peace found in Christ. Would you also pray for the protection of the innocent? War is always an ugly thing. Terrorism is intentionally ugly as these evil actors seek to prey upon the innocent. And while it is true that some innocents, many innocents have already been affected by these terror acts and war, would you pray for supernatural protection in the midst of this ongoing conflict? For the children, the women, the elderly who are there. Would you pray for leaders in Israel and the United States to have wisdom? For Israeli leaders to have wisdom about how to respond in an appropriate way to the acts of terror, to protect their country and help release the hostages that are there. But also providing space for those who are not a part of this conflict. Would you Pray for wisdom for the United States, for the leaders of the United States about how to partner and engage with Israel in this pivotal moment. Would you pray for the families of those who have already lost loved ones, who have been victims of this terror? And would you pray that God would direct them to the God of all comfort? And then ultimately, again, would you pray that God would redeem this terrible situation so that his gospel purposes are advanced? Father, we turn to you in this moment because there's nowhere else to turn. We acknowledge our inability to understand the evil in this world. But we also proclaim our hope and our joy in the fact that one day all of this evil will be eradicated. And Jesus, you will reign. Reign as king over all things. 
But in this moment in between the promise and that realization, God, we ask for you to act as only you can to bring peace so that your gospel purposes can be advanced, to give wisdom and protection as only you can, and to help us know how to act as your church. We rest in the knowledge of who you are. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.